0: News, 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 news. New, 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 news. new York City. The FAQ NYC podcast getting more and more
1: interesting by the minute. <laughs> FAQ. A- <laughs> it's FAQ NYC off cycle, where the New Yorkers podcast from the newsroom buying for New Yorkers, the city, steps back to take different and deeper looks into some of the things that are always happening here in the only place in the world. I'm Katie Honan here with Harry Siegel. Hi, Harry. Hey, kid. Chrissy is off today. Joining us now is Jonathan Bowles, the executive director of the think tank Center for an Urban Future. He's here to discuss their recent report, looking at the retail industry across New York City, where the number of jobs has declined 11 percent since just before COVID began, continuing a decline that began long before the pandemic in 2015. Off the top, here are just some quick data points from the report that relates to the retail industry. Seventy percent of the employees are black, Hispanic and or Asian. And more than 20% are young, under 25. While most of these retail jobs are in Manhattan, 81% of the employees live in the outer boroughs. The retail category hit the hardest has been clothing and clothing accessories, where those jobs are down 26.9% since February of 2020. I'm sure we all know what this looks like with empty storefronts around the city, especially in Manhattan. So, Jonathan, I appreciate you joining us and for doing this report, among many other reports, taking a look at New York City. Uh, I guess we'll just start with, you know, other parts of the economy in New York City have recovered since the pandemic began. But why do you think retail continues to lag?
2: Yeah. Well, first of all, Katie, thanks so much for having me on the show. I'm a big fan. And um, yeah, this is one of the things that concerns me most about the economy, because I think all of us uh, in New York have seen that, that a lot of things are getting back to normal in the economy. Uh, overall, uh, just about all the jobs, uh, all but 0.8 percent of the jobs have come back since the start of the pandemic. But in retail, it's uh, more than 11% down still. Um, and there's just a lot of trends that are at play that are particularly hurting this industry. Uh, so e-commerce is the big one. You know, I think that this had started around two, 2015 when you started to see the decline in retail employment in New York City, uh, but obviously it really accelerated during the pandemic. People were kind of trapped in their houses and they really got accustomed to shopping online. And so um, with that kind of online penetration, you know people have come back uh, even going back to work but they're they're still hitting that button from their home and buying goods and it's especially Clothing, it's especially accessories, shoes. Um, they're still going out to restaurants. They're still buying, you know, fast food or getting a coffee to go. But when it comes to buying a lot of those merchandise uh, retail items, they're doing it from the comfort of their homes. And so those retailers have really struggled. But that's not the only problem facing retail. Um, you know, certainly the decline in people going back to offices has been a major impact. And we we found that uh, that while every borough has seen a decline in retail still since the pandemic um manhattan's down by more than double the next uh borough uh 20 decline in employment in manhattan um in the bronx for instance it's only three percent uh lower employment today so um the big there's been a big impact of uh, people that came into midtown to downtown manhattan they would stick around after work and maybe, you know, get get, you know, go shopping for clothes or for a drugstore um, or, or something. Or maybe they do it at their lunch break. And um, and that doesn't happen as much right now. And so Manhattan retailers have had a big impact. And then I think there's a couple other things. Um, one is um, is actually automation. You know, I think all of your listeners have probably seen in the CBS's the the Reeds, uh, even Target, Home Depot, Uniqlo. Now you go in and you do automated checkout. And, um, you know, I, I think that kind of crept up on us uh, pretty quickly. But um, what we've seen is that even the retailers that are still existing in New York City, they have fewer employees than they did uh, before the pandemic and fewer than they did in 2015. So like the average size of a retail business uh has gone from about 10.9 employees to 10.1 employees, um, you know, and so I can't say that's 100% because of automation, but I think that has a lot to
1: do with it. I will say, I mean, I have spent many a lunch break, or maybe even fake coffee break going to like a Midtown Gap or Sephora. So I definitely know, um, I think the gap to go to close.
2: It's, it's it's true. I've done it myself. Uh, sometimes I go out and, and buy gift. Um, certainly have been to drugstores and you've seen, you know, there was a time 10, 15 years ago where drugstores were just expanding to every street corner in New York City. And now you see a lot of empty ones. Um, and um, and, you know, these these retailers, uh, particularly some of the biggest ones that, that you mentioned, uh, they're not just hit by people shopping online. And, and for the Dwayne du- Reeds of the world, you know, people are buying soap. They're buying toothpaste online. You know, it's not just it's not just clothing, um, but those retailers are still paying New York's high real estate prices. You know, and so you know, those, there's just a mismatch because the real estate is still expensive. But when you get so many fewer customers coming in to your store. It's just hard to make the economics work. And so um, so a lot of these stores, they've really expanded their online presence. You know, Macy's.com, you know, Gap.com, you know, Old Navy is doing really well with their online store, but they've been closing some of their, uh, their actual in-person retails
0: retailers. So I think you might want to get to the uh, supply chain and distribution in a second and how you can see the packages showing up endlessly that in some sense have replaced part of the retail. But I do want to ask first, if you think uh, theft and crime, which have gotten a lot of tabloid attention, are contributing to this, and maybe on the low end, in relation to automation, when you go into a giant Dwayne Reed and there's three employees there, none of them are behind a register, and increasingly the stuff is behind lock and key.
2: Well, the honest answer is, yes, it is a contributing factor, but I don't think it's one of the two or three most important factors. I really do think that it's e-commerce, it's fewer customers coming in in general. Um, but there's no question you've seen, especially with those drugstore uh, chains, but a lot of others that um, that you know theft has been an issue. Um, so I, I can't write it off, um, but I don't think that's anywhere near as important as the other things that I've been
0: mentioning. So as Katie noted earlier in the report notes, uh, retail employees mostly are clustered their work in Manhattan, but they mostly live in other boroughs. So can you talk a bit about the ripple effect for this decline, I think particularly in the uh, central business district, uh, for you know the Bronx, Brooklyn, and Queens, I guess Staten Island?
2: Absolutely. I mean, look, I got to
0: say, this is really the reason that we did
2: this report. You know, uh, the Center for an Urban Future is mostly focused on how to create a more equitable economy, looking at economic opportunity. And 80, 81 percent of the people working in retail live in the boroughs outside of Manhattan, Um, whereas, uh, you know, more than 40 percent of the actual jobs are in Manhattan. Uh before the pandemic, it was like closer to 48% of the jobs were in Manhattan. So, but still most of the workers are outside of Manhattan. And as Katie said at the outset, you know, you've got um over 70% of the workforce in retail are New Yorkers of color. And um I think this is the 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 kind of troubles, the employment troubles that retail is having right now is a big reason why you're seeing this historic gap. In the unemployment rates between Black and white New Yorkers. Um, This is an area, uh, one of the most important uh, sources of accessible jobs, jobs that are accessible to people without a college degree. And you know, the kind of big elephant in the room in in New York's economy is that uh, just 25% of Latino New Yorkers and 30% of Black New Yorkers have at least a bachelor's degree. Um, and, um, and those numbers have moved up in, in recent years, and there's a lot of positives there, but like, um, so many more of the jobs today versus five or ten years ago are, are going to people with at least a bachelor's, and retail has remained one of these industries that's still accessible. Uh, and so um, the, the fact that it's struggling, the fact that there's still 38,000 fewer retail jobs than before the pandemic um, is of great concern, I think, for anybody that's uh, that's really kind of concerned about an equitable recovery. Um, you know and um, you know I think we got to figure out what what to do about this uh, because uh, there's a real disproportionate impact right now and a lot of New Yorkers uh, are, I think are struggling to get jobs right now.
1: So Jonathan, the report goes into some detail about how community development financial institutions could help local retail businesses grow. So can you explain to listeners what a CDFI is, what CDFIs are, sorry, how they work, and I guess why they only serve such a a small fraction of businesses that could use the smaller loans and businesses support that they provide?
2: Yeah, we're huge fans of CDFIs. Um, You know, there's a great... Vast network of small business assistance organizations in New York City. You've got chambers of commerce, business improvement districts, local development corporations. Um, but there's a handful of these CDFIs, community development financial institutions that are generally community based. Um, and they have what's so great about them is that they're small, but they have the trust of uh minority and immigrant entrepreneurs um, they really do a great job of kind of being character lenders um, so going beyond the so people that can't access a bank loan uh, or other traditional sources of lending and capital um, really have a place to go with CDFIs those other small business assistance organizations that I mentioned like Chambers and Bids they don't provide kind of the kind of financing that's so critical for a lot of new businesses cdfis do and they're going to look at things that you know if you're an immigrant and you don't have a lot of bank records if you're not in the banking system you can still get a small loan and a lot of these cdfis they're not talking about you know a million two million dollar loans we're talking about five thousand dollars twenty five thousand dollars often what it takes to get like a street vendor started or some other very small business And, you know, if you look at kind of who's serving immigrant and minority entrepreneurs, it's generally these CDFIs across the city. You know, it's it's organizations like a company capital, Ascendus, the Business Outreach Center program, um, a handful of other really great CDFIs. And, uh, you know, they not only are providing these these microloans, but they're also providing really uh, valuable technical assistance, business advising. They're often helping entrepreneurs that come in their door kind of get set up to get that small loan um, because a lot of them, they may not have a business plan. They may not have a marketing plan. You know, they may have a really great idea and maybe they have an amazing talent, you know, whether it's cooking arepas or something else, but sometimes kind of the business acumen or kind of the planning around a small business and all that's needed to succeed as an entrepreneur in New York, sometimes they're missing that or they could use a little help in CDFI's really pair the lending they have with that kind of technical assistance and i think the challenge is that you know we found that um you know as great as the cdfis are doing they're uh they're just reaching a small small fraction of the minority and immigrant businesses in new york city and um this is important for a number of reasons one is um you know, I think we already see that there's just way too few minority businesses for which we think there there could be. Um, right now, just about three percent of all of the small businesses in New York City are owned by African Americans. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a much smaller share than their overall percentage of the population in New York. Um, you know, and and also I think CDFIs really are helping with by providing the, that the capital. Often they're helping these these minority businesses get set up to succeed. Um, but they're, they're often serving, let's say 100, 200, 300 businesses a year when they need to be serving, you know, thousands or tens of thousands of businesses a year. And, um, I think when we did a a report about this very recently, what the, the interesting thing we found was that it wasn't just the lending capital that they're missing. A lot of times, these CDFIs are able to actually get lending capital from from banks uh, and and others. Banks often get CRA credit, Community Reinvestment Act credit, for kind of providing some of that capital to CDFIs. What what CDFIs are really missing is just the capacity to be able to serve more businesses. As I as I mentioned, you know, there's a there's a lot of work that that goes into doing character lending to be able to kind of look at things other than a bank account or, you know, previous loans that you've paid back, you know, they're looking, did you pay your, your cable bill? How, how's, how are things going with your rent payments? You know, they're, they're looking at a lot of things that takes a lot of work per for, for what might be like a five or $10,000 loan. You need staff to be able to underwrite a lot more loans. So if you want to go from 200 loans a year to 400 or 500, You know, you can't just have that one loan officer do 200 more loans a year. Um, You know, you've got to bring on more staff, and so the capacity, the staff capacity, is really lacking at a lot of these CDFIs. So they need operation support. Um, Also, a lot of them, if they could be making investments in technology, that would make it a little bit easier um, for them to give out loans. The businesses would like that as well because there's a lot of paperwork that goes in, and they haven't really kind of. Kind of gotten up to speed on technology the way some other um, lenders uh, have have done, and so there's a real need there. But again, that's a capacity problem, that's an operations problem. They also really have zero dollars for marketing, so a lot of small businesses out there, a lot of entrepreneurs just don't know at all about these CDFIs.
1: One thing I wanted to note, and I know one in one of the reports. I believe it was the Momo Crawl in Jackson Heights seemed to get, you know, they got a a couple thousand dollar boost to get things going. And I know one of the suggestions in another report that the center did was sort of the ways that the government can help small businesses, particularly in boroughs that are not Manhattan, um, can get help. And one of the things you cited was sort of like a social media boost. And I think of something like you said, the Momo Crawl, which is exposure. I've been to it. Thousands of people come, people who wouldn't necessarily eat in Jackson Heights. They go, they discover new businesses. Um, but I also think, you know, when when you see these increase, whether it's like a TikTok boost or someone like New York Nico, I mean, do you think that the city of New York can really replicate what is like a cool social media influencer um, type of thing? Um, or maybe it's just providing assistance to businesses so they can capture this when it happens. But, um, you know, I, I often wonder there are these. You know, a, a dumpling spot I used to go to, I, I still go to in Chinatown. I went in there one day and it was filled with people and it was because they had a TikTok earlier in the week. And that now provides such an organic, seemingly organic boost. I don't know what you think the government can actually do to assist these businesses and maybe even create some of this magic on their own.
2: Yeah, I think there's a lot. And I think that the Momo Crawl and those social media examples that you mentioned are are kind of indicative of that this isn't going to require billions of dollars, right? There's kind of small amounts of investment can go a long way here. But I think the main thing is like, you know, I've studied small businesses for a long time. And I think we hear a lot about how costly it is to, to run a business in New York. We know taxes are high, labor costs are high, real estate's high. But, you know, it's like when I go out and talk to small businesses and entrepreneurs, the thing they need help with the most, I always hear, they need business. They need customers, you know, and a lot of times small businesses are good at doing that themselves. The government should not be kind of substituting for, for small businesses to kind of create customers. But I think that, you know, the reason why, you know, helping CDFIs, the reason why kind of looking into ways that the city can help small businesses right now is so important is that we've been going through this entrepreneurial boom right now. In fact, I think it's one of the real positive stories of the pandemic is that... um Maybe it's because there are fewer retail jobs and other things out there. But so many more New Yorkers have been starting businesses over the last couple of years. Uh, overall, there's been more than a 30% increase in, in new business applications since 2019. In fact, the, the borough with the greatest increase in small business applications, new business applications has been the Bronx, where we've been uh, had a 66% increase. Um, and so it's a real diverse mix of new businesses that are getting started And I'm concerned that they're not all going to succeed. Of course, they're not all going to succeed. But I think that government really has a role to play right now to kind of, you know, make some investments to ensure that as many as possible of these new businesses succeed. And in fact, before the pandemic, we saw that a troubling number of especially Black and and immigrant uh, and minority owned businesses in New York City were not succeeding they were not growing many of them in the pandemic were not really ready to go out and access loans and grants that became available in those kind of early months or years of the pandemic in part because they just they didn't have a lot of they didn't have great record keeping there were other things that they just kind of weren't kind of ready for as a business and we've got to strengthen and make make more of these businesses competitive uh, and so I think now that we have this great Renaissance of of new business formation across the city. Let's take advantage of this and kind of go out and provide assistance and support for those businesses and help them, help them, help them get stronger and more competitive and help them uh, get sustainable. And so, you know, giving them business, giving them customers. I think there are a few things that the city can do to help. And so that Momo Crawl example is such a good one because you have this this nonprofit. Uh, a company capital spent about three thousand dollars to do marketing and create this Momo crawl that they that they helped set up that brought a blitz of people that were shopping that supported a lot of those dumpling businesses in Jackson Heights. And um, it just shows what a small amount of money and how far it can go to boost business. Not That's not only a kind of a one day uh, increase for those businesses in Jackson Heights. It's kind of like getting getting the word out. People that went there, they're going to tell their friends and they might come out like 2 months later, you know. <laughs> and you know, and so it's really expanding. It's like like a lot of these businesses they they kind of you know, it's like the the challenge is like how do you how do you get the word out and get more people to know them? You know, on the social media side, you know, especially given that so many more New Yorkers are shopping online today. Or kind of, you know, getting, getting, figuring out what they're doing based on Instagram and TikTok. If you're not on those social media channels, you may not be reaching a lot of New Yorkers. And there's so many New Yorkers that are just genuinely interested in checking out something new and exciting and interesting. You know, there's a lot of wealthy people in the city that would love to buy. Fashion from boutiques and Bushwick and you know uh, Sunset Park—they they don't know about them or know how to access the websites of those companies. And so I think the city can help figure out how do we create platforms for some of these great, unique New York businesses. The social media, Tompkins Avenue in uh, in Brooklyn, you know, they really kind of pioneered this really great um, social media strategy that has gotten people all over the city. And, and frankly, we've heard people from really outside of New York to come to Tompkins Avenue in Brooklyn um, and to kind of take advantage of some of the great food offerings that they have there. Uh, It really has brought new people into the the community. The word's gotten out. And I think that we can replicate examples like that and replicate the model of what was done with the Momo Crawl, um, you know, to other neighborhoods. Will it work for every single neighborhood? I don't know. But, you know, you know, let's at least empower some of the, the business improvement districts or the uh, or the merchants associations or uh, the, the CDFIs out there with just a small amount of dollars to do that kind of marketing. Also, you know, uh, we, we did a we did a study a couple years ago where we asked for, uh, you know, ideas for creating more equitable city. And I, and I remember we got this great idea from um, David Wu, the president of Baruch University. And he said, let's match some of these young CUNY students, people studying business with some of the small businesses across the city. A lot of these young people, they know social media. They know Instagram and TikTok so much more than a lot of these business owners, which tend to be, you know, in their 40s, 50s and 60s and are not great on these platforms. Um Pair them with young people that really do know know the social media and can help the businesses get the word out and uh, and reach new customers.
0: Now, that, that was a lot, and I want to return to a few parts of it. Um, <clears throat> when uh, when the Center for the Urban Future asked for this set of ideas about creating a more equitable city, this was pandemic times. There's this backdrop question. That's just outside the scope of that about how large a city this is going to be. So how much equity there is, both senses, I suppose, to go around. Uh, You know, you run the, uh, the Center for Urban Future. There's a lot of indicators that the economy here, as this federal aid ends, is going to be really diminished. The Manhattan in particular, and those central business districts, are not going to be what they were. Um, there, there are questions, of course, if, if you start helping out farther flung areas and doing promotion for them at a city level, this can get tricky with, with who gets uh, platformed and pushed by the city. Although, of course, if you're just putting money out and letting people try, th- that answers that. Um, really, the question I have is, you, know, you mentioned uh, that we have almost all the jobs back we had before the pandemic. Uh, the country recovered all the jobs and has considerably more now, I think a year and a half ago. Uh, you mentioned, uh, black unemployment, which, which the gap here I, has always been larger than the national gap, but I believe that disparity has actually grown. And there are the, these indicators of decline that as this federal aid runs out, the signs are going to get worse. So I, I'd like to hear a little bit more about what you think the, uh, the future might look like and what the uh, potential is for new york if some lease prices go down if some landlords have to adjust the sort of businesses they're offering spaces to and all the rest of that.
2: wow um yeah there's a lot there but those are great questions harry i mean i think um, i kind of veer back and forth i think there's um there's some days I'm just so bullish on the city when I see the subways crowded and I see so many people and in, in parks and open spaces across New York. Um, you know, I think there's there's a number of positive inc- indicators. The fact that uh, entrepreneurship, new business formation in the Bronx is up 66 percent since the pandemic. Um, I think that the fact that the poverty rate over the last uh, five or 10 years has gone way down in New York City. Uh, the fact that we have a lot more programs out there that are actually providing uh, you know, real benefits for, for lower income New Yorkers that are saving them really thousands of dollars a year in costs, things like universal pre-K and 3K, things like free lunch and breakfast for school kids, things like the Fares program that's saving uh, a lot of money on MetroCards for people. Um, so I think there's a lot more positives that are happening in New York City uh, that I think have have been important steps to creating a more equitable New York. Um, but when I see that so many of the industries that are slowest to come back are those accessible industries, not just retail but hotels and restaurants manufacturing um you know it it is it is worrying um I, all of those things do contribute to this uh, widening glaring uh, unemployment gap between black and white new Yorkers and so i do worry that you know even as we're taking some really important steps to uh, to kind of help new Yorkers get get pathways to prosperity and help them with more income and work supports you know, just the trends in the economy are almost kind of acting against all of that and making it making it harder for us to to achieve an equitable city. So uh, I do have have those concerns. You know, I think that um, there are there are things growing in New York. I think that you know not a lot of people want to uh, embrace uh, the kind of Amazon jobs, the delivery jobs. Um, in some ways, you know, as much as those jobs have kind of Helped contribute to the problems facing retail right now. There are a lot of decent paying jobs around the same price level that have been growing across the city. Um, and, um, you know, I, I'm not saying that that's the answer, but I think that that's one industry where we've seen a lot of job growth. Um, those jobs actually pay a lot better in, on average than, let's say, home healthcare, which is another industry that's been booming in New York City. Uh, just since 2019, we've actually seen something like 42,000 new home health aid jobs in New York City. Those are accessible jobs, but they're really among the lowest wage jobs in the city. They're really difficult; they require a lot of transportation, um, you know. And um, you know, the, uh, there's a lot of growth in high-end categories. Finance is up. Tech is and New York has really done a great job in growing its tech sector. Uh, some of the creative industries like advertising or uh, in film are doing okay. Yeah, I think, you know, the big challenge for New York uh, on the kind of equity side, uh, on the kind of equitable economy side is really continuing to expand access to the good jobs. You know, what we're seeing in retail is just a kind of another example that look, more and more of the well-paying jobs are going to require a college degree. Uh, And so we absolutely have to be kind of boosting access to college attainment. You know, one of my big ideas for the city is such a basic one. It's that we should set like a 10-year goal of increasing uh, a college attainment rates for for Black and Latino New Yorkers by 50%. Let's let's kind of have this massive initiative and back, back work it to kind of create the initiatives to support it, but let's vastly improve and increase college attainment rates, the number of people with a BA. You know, we have made similarly impressive strides on high school graduation, uh, over the last 10 or 15 years. And that's worth celebrating, but like, you know, like in today's economy, we need so much more. Um, also if I could throw out one other idea that we've been working on, um, that, that I would love to see Mayor Adams do is something called skills-based hiring. Um, you, you know, I don't know that many of your listeners have, have kind of spent a lot of time or know a lot about this, but, um, but it's 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 really kind of this kind of small but growing trend across the economy uh, where employers, including those in city government, are doing away with degree requirements for a certain number of jobs that really just, you know, don't really re- don't really need a college degree. You know, So a lot of times, uh, even people in even even in city government, you know, the default is, the requirement on a job title is you have to have a four-year degree. And a lot of these jobs, you can actually hire based on what person's skills are. You know, there are a lot of people with skills. can
0: and should. Um, Absolutely. And I, I've argued for this, actually, in journalism for a very long time, uh, that you don't need to have a, a baseline of, for instance, a bachelor's degree or five years of experience. It's if, if you think you, you, uh, you're qualified and you have the skills, please explain how and please do apply. The reason I think New York has been very reluctant to embrace this approach, which I think would be very wise of Adams, in part, is that uh, higher ed is, among other things, is a business proposition, when it's not a real estate hustle, which is largely what it is, in my view, in New York City, is a credentialing uh, operation. And people, that, that that's where the income comes from, and the faculty that's had to go through that mess wants to insist that other people do before getting through so that actually weeds, if you don't mind, in, into my, uh, I think, our closing question here, which is, look, if we have a, a, perhaps with help from the government, more equitable, but also perhaps somewhat diminished near-term future, possibly, then I do think this raises the question, right? And and the your report that's out now, seven ideas for boosting NYC's newest businesses, right? The little deck below that, Says explicitly, this uh, explores insights from a policy forum on what exactly city government officials should do to ensure that a significant share of the city's newest businesses prosper for, for many years to come. I think that's a, a great and important question. At the same time, you know, with going back to that national comparison and how New York has lagged here, and we didn't lag after 9-11, after 2008, and if this is less Manhattan-centric, is there an argument that, that part of what's needed is less government intervention? And regulation and that having something, a system that's largely been built for larger businesses and enterprises no longer makes as much sense that some of those built up protections don't apply to the circumstance we're in now.
2: I think yes and no.
0: Absolutely. I mean,
2: I think that like, you know, I think it's Ed Glazer that says this a lot. There's so many more regulations and hurdles to start a storefront business than it is like an online tech business. You know, and it shouldn't be the case. You know, one of my one of the things that we've been looking at, actually, it's something that we're working on for a future report, is um there are a lot of regulations in place right now, zoning restrictions that make it impossible for some entertainment-related uses to be in retail in Midtown. So we have a lot of empty storefronts, right? So if you want to bring like laser tag or you want to put like an indoor mini golf company in Midtown in like a retail space or even like second floor space uh, of retail or or an office space, zoning currently restricts you to an industrial zone. You know, there are companies doing things like um, – um, indoor skydiving that would appeal to a city with 70 million or so tourists coming here, but we're having a hard time bringing those kind of businesses. And so, you know, I, I think that there are restrictions and regulations that absolutely get in the way. I've got to commend the city planning department for their city of yes proposals that they've recently put out that are looking at kind of getting rid of or reducing some of these regulations. They're not a lot of champions right now to support this, Um, like getting rid of the entertainment restrictions, like I just mentioned. um, You know, I hope that they're able to to succeed in doing this. Um, But, uh, you know, I think, Harry, there are other things that I think government can do. And like I said, in terms of helping businesses get access to, to new business, ensuring that more of our immigrant and minority businesses are set up to succeed, supporting CDFIs, there are real roles for city government to do more of this, but absolutely they can get out get out of the way and reduce regulations. In that way, I think it would support more of a, a, a kind of a healthy
0: small business economy. Lightning round closer, Jonathan. Thank you so much. This is a lot to uh, absorb. We've brought up momos. Uh, do we have a, <laughs> a ranking of the uh, of the best? Dumplings. I might have to start with gyoza, but momos are definitely high on my list. <laughs> of course, pierogies. Eighty. What's it going to be?
1: Me. Um. I'll go just because you know you can get them in other boroughs. I'll go with momos just because there's such to me. There's such a, a there's so many of them throughout Queens, and as you both know, I always rep Queens.
2: Well, I'm a uh, I'm a
0: Queens resident for the last
2: twenty two years, so I'm going to have <laughs> to say that as well.
0: Yeah. Adam Kamara has just uh, texted in to say uh, soup dumplings at Joe's. And, and yes, yeah, soup dumplings are uh, 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 one of the blessings of being a laugh. There you go. Agreed.
1: Well, Jonathan, thank you so much for joining us.
0: Thanks for having me.
1: Yeah. And for all the good reports and good work, you got. lots to think about for sure. F-A-Q. F-A-Q.
0: <laughs> it's been F-A-Q-N-Y-C. It is part of the city. Not profit. Not partisan newsroom dedicated to hard-hitting reporting that serves the people of New York. It's freely available to everyone. TheCity.nyc Supported by listeners and readers like you. TheCity.nyc give. We're an affiliate of NYU's McSilver Institute for Poverty Policy and Research. A member of the Brickhouse Cooperative of Independent Journalists, Artists, Critics. Online, but popular.com our hosts katie onan and me harry siegel also executive producer engineer adam kamara special thank you to our guest jonathan bowles of the center for an urban future thank you as ever listener joining us get in here be kind be cool we'll be back soon with more watch the heat. you want to Um, talk about the uh, – oh, I was just going to the next one. No, you go ahead.
1: I'm sorry, Harry. I'm sorry. No,
0: no, no, no. I'm sorry, Katie. Adam, I'm sorry for you. Katie, please go ahead. I'm sorry. No,
1: you you can go ahead. I I had something stupid to say, but you go ahead. Sorry, Jonathan. Now you're getting the inner workings of the FAQ podcast. Sorry, Adam. Just cut all that.
0: Well-oiled machine.